Hello, folks, and welcome to another Lightroom podcast with the members of the engineering team. This was a rare opportunity to get the entire raw engineering team for Adobe Systems in one room all together for a podcast, so I just couldn't pass it up. Now that we've shipped Lightroom version 1.0, my goal was to touch on what we accomplished in that release and to have a conversation about where we hope to take things with the upcoming ACR 4.0 and future versions of Lightroom. As I probably could have predicted, at least a couple of members of the team couldn't get a word in edgewise. During the recording, I tried to go around the table and ask each of the engineers what they hoped to have more time for in future releases, but didn't get around to everyone. For the record, after we ran out of recording time, Michael Johnson came over to me and answered the question for himself personally by saying, most emphatically, performance, performance, performance. And I think he's probably speaking for the whole team there. So welcome to podcast number 29. It's not the most coherent or structured conversation we've had, but it's just one more opportunity for you, our most valued customers, to sit down with us and have a glimpse into the inner thinking and conversations that go on with the team. Despite all the ground that the Lightroom team has broken by reaching out to you with the public beta, with the honest information and collaboration coming to you through the forums and the podcasts, the quality of these conversations is still something I don't see anywhere else. It's an open conversation. So please feel free to send us your comments and suggestions to me at georgej at adobe.com. And enjoy. Uh, we're going to start here. We're, uh, I'm working to make right sure now. that George has okay. no material to start to the podcast <laughs> yeah, with. I could, believe me, I could cut and splice like you can't imagine. Not if we're talking over each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're all on separate tracks. Mm -hmm. All right, it is Friday, March 16th, 2007. I'm George Jardine, and I'm here in Ann Arbor, Michigan, at the home of Thomas Knoll with the entire Raw team. What a pleasure to have everybody here in one room. That's why I'm here, to get you guys to sit down and talk about what's happening in Lightroom and ACR now that we've shipped Lightroom 1.0. Also joining us, Jeff Shiwi, not really part of the Raw team, but our mascot. Yes, I am. <laughs> no, today I am. Okay. I'm oh, getting yeah. paid oh. for this. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You are. You want to reveal that publicly in, in, uh, in the you podcast? Can, You're getting I paid? I don't care. You're a paid Adobe <laughs> yeah, show? Yeah, I'm a show. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we can right. no longer use Jeff. <laughs> no, I know how to actually brand. get paid from ABS. Mm -hmm. So I'm a valued uh, vendor. Oh, there you go. That's a That <laughs> takes time. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Not everybody has that skill. ABS. It's our contract for a friend. Anti-lock braking system. Yeah. Okay. That <laughs> <laughs> prevents anything from moving forward <laughs> in the system. <laughs> it's the anti-forward movement system. Okay, well, that'll go over big in Adobe, but probably not much outside of Adobe will understand. So far, George is really stuck. Do you want to start over? I don't know. Well, you know, I can patch it together. Yeah. George can edit anything. All right, so um, we've shipped Lightroom 1.0. How does that feel, Mark? Feels good. Feels good. Kind of like a, a C-section without anesthesia. <laughs> well, I have no experience <laughs> with those. But. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a b little bit like having birth, wasn't it? Um, so things appear to be selling pretty, pretty fast, too, pretty briskly. So things are good. So I hear. So we might have a version 2. It seems likely. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. we're not done, and you know I think you know there are portions of the team that are probably disappointed that you know, we're not done. We're and, not done. Know, it so continues. George, you want to reveal the fact that features that actually get into Lightroom are decided by the eight ball that you turn upside down, and this the one answer that's, floats. This one to the that's top. here on the table. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. It's a possibility or you know so that's what i do i ask questions and you guys reveal random answers yes, okay. <laughs> you know prior to the podcast i had to you know my standard answer had to be you know i cannot comment on products announced or unannounced real or imaginary yeah things have changed but then it shipped <laughs> yeah well then i still couldn't comment on it so what's cooking what's next 
Is that a subject for this podcast, or should we dig into some of the... Um, well, this the, George, just to confirm, this is actually going to be airing after the announce, the official announce, not the semi-official or fix-into-announce announce of CS3. Well, it's We've announced data. that we're it's going to form data. an exploratory committee regarding CS3. Announce you guys. <laughs> yes. Come on. But it'll ship spring of 07. No, but this is airing after the actual official announce. Right. Okay. Will they announce the date we're shipping on the no, 27th? but it's traditionally between 30 and 40 days. That's, you know, somebody said something about GM already, so. Wow, cool. And ACR4 is, of course, in CS3, so yeah. very high degree of fidelity with Lightroom 1.0. That's the objective. We have strived for absolute fidelity in the raw processing, and there's a very high degree of fidelity in the, you know, kind of user interface mappings between the two. How are we doing? And the occasional place where ACR, by being on a slightly later schedule, has bug fixes that aren't in Lightroom, but... Yeah, it's, but uh, camera raw doesn't have the drunken aviator crop. No. I miss that. So yeah. if you make uh, if you make corrections in ACR four, they will show up identical in Lightroom. Yep, goes okay. both ways. It's okay. um, in fact, I uh, I do my personal workflow. Do certain things in ACR and um, kind of. Uh, Certain things in in Lightroom. When you want to get drunk with the aviator, you uh <laughs> <laughs> like like the cropping a little better in Lightroom, perhaps. Uh, I have a few other user interface things. I like, uh, you know, of course, I wrote them myself in ACR, so of course, I like them better. <laughs> but, yeah. What did you write different in ACR? Uh, healing, healing works a little bit a little bit different. Y yeah. You know, I'm still I mean, I'm still not down with that kind of like lifesaver coloration of the red yeah. and white kind of the the visual the visual looks a little uh Jarring. Yeah, we might we might uh, the future might uh, have some changes there but the the way multi-image spotting works uh, is uh an evolving thing and i think yeah. acr is a little further down the path oh really uh, so. i'm embarrassed to say i haven't uh yeah, i haven't that's tried that's an area it. where but we probably need to be looking for feedback into lightroom and then there's just a general issue between the two of them of what happens when you click and drag, and what's the right answer? And yeah, that one, I'm, you know, I like the way we. And do for it. once, Lightroom wasn't the one that was willfully uh, inconsistent. Yeah, it, it was Zalman's fault. That's my fault. Me. Were we ever willfully inconsistent? Well, people accuse us of that. Yeah. On, on, the, on the other hand, I do get changing heel and clone, no clone fact. correct in yeah, ACR, in ACR. Glorified in the fact that he was different. So. Uh oh. <laughs> That's dangerous, well, Lightroom dangerous is information. Unphotoshop. That's right. But that doesn't mean willfully different. Yeah, it does. <laughs> What's the difference in ACR when you um, click and drag? Lightroom prefers setting the source position as the the drag right. motion, and ACR prefers setting the radius of the spot as uh, the drag motion. And the command key on the Mac is the differentiator. Um. Yeah, ACR doesn't actually. We didn't go hog wild on the uh on the modifier keys in acr we may yeah, so yeah i think john steinmetz put pretty much every behavior possible underneath some modifier and in, in light develop in lightroom but but uh let me just ask you do you shoot with a often dirty sensor um in fact i mean i try to keep my sensor clean but uh i have found that the uh the retouch tool is just an incredible improvement to, mm -hmm. to the output because there's always a spot. And in uh, fact, spot. I, See, <laughs> at least yeah, there's okay. usually 10 I or 20. I might argue with the camera raw behavior. If you've got like three or 400 spots that you mm -hmm. got to clean, mm -hmm. uh, it gets a little frustrating. I what, actually what, like, well, like George has a video he's going to be brush. putting out that shows you how you open up your camera and you spit on the sensor and you rub it around with some steel wool and that just <laughs> cleans them off just by permanently. <laughs> um, the, I mean, the one the one thing that ACR does that I like is the ability to select multiple images and apply a spot to all those images oh, in yeah, one yeah. go. Yeah, I mean, right. you do that Lightroom, you can I'm do it by syncing. Lightroom, you, in Lightroom, you have to sync. And the, the well, sync, no, if you turn on auto-sync, it works. Turn on auto -sync. For each spot individually. Yeah. But it doesn't, do, it doesn't do an auto-hunt that's different for each okay. image. So oh, it doesn't? Should it? Yes, it should. Yeah. I, ideally, it would auto-hunt on each image, yeah. but... Um, that requires opening up I'd, the negative and running it again or marking it as auto hunt and yeah. This was all coming in you know, 
Healing was sort of late on the schedule. Yeah, autosync was late too. I mean, yeah, there, I, there was a bunch just, of stuff that was found out the other day. after the point where uh, you know, Kiwi Manager uh, slammed on the brakes. Would have liked us to have been done um, on spotting. I mean, we'd always planned to do spotting support in Lightroom. It was it was an obvious thing that we had to do, but you know, there were all these things about what's the prioritization on it and. We had lots of other things to worry about, and people kept worrying about, you know, what can we do to get Mark to raise it on his prioritization list? And, you know, there were people threatening to come and put uh, dust on the sensors of the cameras that I was using. Now, as it ends up, I was up in uh, on Lake Superior about a month ago shooting pictures and came back and went through and started doing pictures and going, there's schmutz on every one of these pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do a whole bunch of spotting work here. So, well, just... To mention that Seth Resnick and myself and Michael Reichman, a couple of the, and Ian Lyons, the, one of the beta testers for Lightroom, were, were down in Antarctica, and it's the driest, dustiest, windiest conditions on Earth. And I have to tell you, I have some captures that literally have hundreds and multiple images, and I, I thought... If you get enough of them, then it's just film grain. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and you thought... Well, I was I thought Lightroom 1.0 was actually auto sensing, um, but apparently I'm going to have to do that camera raw. Well, I, I'm going to disagree with you that Antarctica is the driest, dustiest place on the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Having just come back from Egypt recently, uh, well, okay, uh, I uh, uh, Serengeti probably Serengeti mm -hmm. uh, uh, beats that in the dry oh. season. Can we agree and that I'm, they're both really dusty places? Actually, I did not find Antarctica that dusty in terms of... Did you change yeah. lenses much? Yeah. At least there probably are fewer Ice. flies in Antarctica than in well, the Sahara. Uh, in the Sahara. We were actually in a sandstorm. Yeah, in the Falklands. Mm -hmm. We had winds coming down off of mountains, mm -hmm. and the wind was blowing across the beach, hmm. which, you know, if it had been 50 degrees warmer, it would have been absolutely, you know... Uh, a tropical paradise, but it wasn't. And but anyway, all the penguins were like hunched up because of the sand. And hmm. yeah, I was changing lenses all day, and maybe that's what contributed to the hundreds of dust spots. But Jeff, you know, you're not supposed to take the camera after you take the lens off and hold it up pointed into the wind. <laughs> <laughs> and well, nice? I guess there is the approach of sandblasting your uh, sensor clean. That's how you get the which dust is another out. option if you don't have any steel wool available. Sandblasting works, yeah. It gives you that really nice diffused look. Okay, back to Lightroom, guys. So what didn't we get in version 1.0 that we hope to get in 1.0? Well, as you can see, we're working on setting up a, a business plan in which we will clean your sensors for you. <laughs> <laughs> didn't get local tone and color correction, and that's something that Bruce, had, uh, Bruce Frazier had wanted a lot, mm -hmm. so... Uh, I'm going to get Mark in a noogie and, and uh, not let him out until <laughs> we get a commitment for 2.0. Wow, that's serious. Jeff thinks that I'm in a position to make commitments on anything. But <laughs> um, it's shipped we, now and it belongs to the... Uh, it, belongs to the it belongs to the I community. Mean, the, the sense of the product, we we have. It's interesting watching the public perception of the product. I mean, I, ho I hope that these conversations indicate that you know it's it's, it's a process that you know, real people are working on. It's not like we have you know a grand plan. I see uh, people assign motives and great machinations to to how we do this. And um, exactly, we I mean we have a long list of things to do. We're pretty I like to think pretty well informed and sensible about what it takes to do photographic workflow where you've worked on bringing more influences into into our world in terms of how we you know there, there are things that are very much perception or sensibility taste you know color type elements things like that and we have a much broader diverse set of expertise in that world than than perhaps a year and a half ago uh, we have a product out there now, which is a huge difference in terms of how the process works because there's a ton of people now using it, and we get a lot more feedback. Now, we've, al we've always gotten lots of feedback. We've had a, a beta process, but that feedback in and unto itself in terms of volume does it. I mean, it's just like taking, you know, 10,000 pictures. If you get 20 good ones, you're happy. You know, feedback has the same same thing that, 
you've got to you've got to integrate it. You've got to get the right answer out of it somehow. And well, have, the other thing I was going to say, Zolman, is that quite honestly, I think, um, and I kind of watched the whole process go on, but I think you surprised a lot of people at the richness of the 1.0 release mm-hmm. compared to the 4.0 beta, which was in October. Mm-hmm. So from October to February. We made our localizers and our documentation people very unhappy. Yes, but I mean, you, you did a tremendous amount of work enriching the, the functionality and the features and the workflow, as well as the speed, from October to February. I mean, a lot of people were just waiting for 1.0 to come out mm-hmm. to say, oh, well, of course, yeah, it didn't get much better than Beta 4. And you haven't heard a lot of that, have you? No, we yeah. got some key features, but... Frankly, I don't think we knew until late in the game if we were going to get cloning and healing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I had it. I, I, I was confident. I was confident. I had um, it on my list. Uh, we, we knew we wanted it. We knew we wanted it. <laughs> we solved a couple of interesting problems pretty late there. But, um, yeah. I, I mean, more, more of my point was you're asking about going forward, you know, what's in, in the next, you know, what's on our, our list. And we, we certainly have a, a large set of things. Most of the things that people talk about, we're well aware of. There's a lot of image quality type improvements that we want to make. We, I mean, the image quality is pretty good to begin with. I mean, it's, it, you can argue about whether it's the best on any given image, but, but uh, I think it's certainly competitive with mm-hmm. any other application out there. And we would like to take that from being competitive to, you know, you get the image you want out of it in a predictable fashion every time. Uh, so there's, you know, the standard list of things you have to do in your workflow. Sure. Uh, color sharpening noise reduction is a big one we hear a lot about a few other issues and so have you made progress on some of these things this week because what i've seen so far pretty interesting Uh, let me put it this way what i've seen so far this week has been very encouraging how's that i think we we've said in public contexts before particularly at the uh, memorial service for bruce fraser that uh We'd done some work with him nine months ago and had a number of ideas, but I mean, we didn't have a chance to bring them to fruition in Lightroom. There were and Camera Raw. There were a lot of things we were working on, but I mean, we're now getting a chance to start turning back to those ideas and you know, seeing what we can do to improve the quality of the results we were getting. There were a lot of ideas we were excited about, and we're now finally getting a chance to go back and look at them again. And mm-hmm see what we can do with them and i was going to say on the subject of healing yes we said it was sort of late and there was certainly a certain amount of consternation but uh, one of the things that happened was you know because I mean, we've highlighted that you know, lightroom does all its work in a linear space internally yada 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 you know, has a variety of benefits but it introduced new stresses that on um, the healing process that we hadn't necessarily anticipated, but I think it led us to, led Zalman and I to find some interesting solutions to how you do, in addition to sort of general luminance matching, doing contrast matching as you move uh, source material from place to place. Mm-hmm. It works basically the same as the Photoshop spot healing mm-hmm. tool. There's a little bit of confusion I've seen about that because the spot healing tool doesn't actually show you what it does in Photoshop you don't actually see that it's taking a source position. Whereas in, you know, since we're a metadata editor, that position is recorded. Parametric Um, image editor. Parametric (laughs) image editor. We should should talk about that actually. Um, Actually, Just in time processing. We (laughs) actually, you know, George, we should have a contest for the Lightroom community to name the editing. And the winner would get a lifetime supply of Lightroom T-shirts. You no, know, he gets uh, his. You that know, would be his, writing on his answering machine recorded by George Jardin. <laughs> uh, well, Probably well, wouldn't be worth it. So, parametric image editing. Let's talk about that. What is that? It's a proposed name for the model of mm-hmm. you know how how we're different than previous. Photoshop is yeah. It's compared to you know Photoshop has the instantane instant gratification 
model of editing. Uh, hey, and, Zalman, I used to work in Photoshop in the early days where you'd run the the uh, radio blur filter and you go out to lunch with your client. You're saying there was nothing instant about it. <laughs> there was nothing <laughs> but, instant uh, about it. I mean, the thing about Photoshop originally is Photoshop, uh, as a raster image editor, well, you could feel the bits between your toes, which was... Exactly. Um, you know, we used to cite relative to live picture that one of the things that you know, Photoshop strengths was you could feel the pixels between your toes as you were working with it. Um, the layering model in Photoshop sort of introduces a complex mixture of raster and processing workflow, particularly as it gained layer effects and then more stuff happening in uh, CS3. But there's that direction and camera raw and now Lightroom and a variety of other applications out there are much more in the well how far can we get where the main theme is you know I'm going to twist some knobs and I'm going to adjust what the image looks like will uh, look like will look like when it's processed finally yeah yes well that's the just in time processing portion which I'll yes. let Thomas talk about in a moment but that's but, important because the thing about it is that edit can not only be applied to that one image, but to hundreds or thousands. Yes, it's... And if you want to, you can go back and change your mind, which when adjustment layers first came into Photoshop, they were great because you could go back and change your mind. So it was a way of delaying the editing of the pixels until you actually flattened. But here with Lightroom and Camera Raw and metadata editing or parametric parametric editing, editing. Yeah. In parametric image editing okay not a pyramid scheme <laughs> yeah. or a Ponzi no it's pie okay uh the advantage there is that it's like being able to have yet to be processed adjustments that you can go back and repurpose for other reasons but then also be able to uh easily go back to what it the original capture looked like. Yes, and one of the other strengths of what Camera Raw and Lightroom are doing, if you look compared to adjustment layers, adjustment layers are very flexible. You can stack them up however you want to, you can put masks on them and so forth. Now, of course, if you don't like the results you get, good luck trying to figure out what piece of it you did wrong, but you, know, you can go back and change them if you can figure out the right place to change, and coming at it in camera and Lightroom more as a model of saying, well, we're going to give, provide users with a set of knobs that allow them to get their image where they want to get it to go. We have the opportunity to really think about what is the right set of knobs to provide, how should they interoperate, how do they work together, so that you know, though there are multiple ways to change the tonality of the image between you know, the brightness and contrast sliders and the tone curve and so forth. They work in reasonably predictable ways, and if you're trying to figure out how to move your image, you're not faced with, well, I have no idea. I've done all this stuff to it, and it may be a stack of adjustment layers, but good luck figuring out what to do with it. Instead, it's a an effort to have a consistent set of controls that all work together in a highly tuned fashion. And arguably uh, designed for the easy use of getting an optimized, a globally optimized image as quickly and as, and I don't want to say this, without having to have like guru status in terms of the adjustment functionalities of pixel editing. Yeah. Right. Meaning that the tools are pretty easy to, to arrive at the at the yeah. optimal yeah, I mean, adjustment. Yeah, you know, I think adjustment layers in Photoshop were a great thing. Of course, you know, I was one of the people involved in coming up with the idea, um, so I guess I should probably like it. But I can also see you know where that sort of evolves to, and you know, one of the things starting on Lightroom was to try to say, well, okay, Photoshop is a way to build complexity. How do you get some of that same power? I think the operative power, phrase, simple, Mark, was simply. we don't need no stinking layers. Well, yes. <laughs> but that became came from wanting to do shiwi paint. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually an interesting property to to the, the, the way it works that somebody could send us. You have a raw file. It's like, how would, how would you process this? And they can send you back their 
you know, basically the XMP file that, mm -hmm. that they chose to put with the photo. And you could take a look at, the, you know, the user interface that comes up in Lightroom and have a pretty good idea of what decisions they made without being an expert level, mm -hmm. you know, steeped in all the arcana of, of mm -hmm. you know, every nook and cranny of Photoshop. I think that that's a much more tenable position to, you know, hand back and forth. Mm -hmm. And you also bring up decisions. an interesting point. I mean, we've all heard about the news of the LA Times guy that got fired for being a bad Photoshop artist. Oh, I'm sorry, for being a photographer and leaving the same guy in two different shots. I considered that a bad mm -hmm. Photoshop job. But the fact is that now in journalism, science, or any place where providence of, of an image can be an issue, it's nice to be able to have the photographer say, this is the way the image should look, mm -hmm. and have uh, and, and the ability to go back and say, okay, so what he did was, you know, given the scope of, mm -hmm. of uh, editorial or journalistic um, mm -hmm. uh, ethics, perfectly reasonable. It's actually, it's actually interesting to me because with healing, I've discovered, and it's, I've wondered myself how I feel about retouching my images. And I've discovered that since healing, spot healing went in, that uh, I'm actually pretty okay with uh, a fairly large set of edits that I was, wasn't sure I would actually do in Photoshop because I know that the original image is there. I know that you know, I can prove how this image got from point A to point B. And there was some you know extra items sticking into the edge of the frame that I didn't like being there. And either because of an error in framing or the impossibility of getting exactly the framing I want, you know, I take them out. But yeah, I feel good about that. Once cloning went in, and particularly when it went in with the support for reasonably large regions, I sent out a message to the team with with an image and basically said, "We are now evil." <laughs> Cross the line into Photoshop territory. It's from the standpoint of there, you know, there are some arguments about sense of purity about not so, altering images, and it's like. We can alter images, and yeah. they've been George, lots of... you weren't there when Mark was first demoing the healing brush. In the... Yeah, I've seen the demo with the eye yeah, and the yes. forehead. The, the yeah. baby's eye, and it's yeah. like, eek. I feel Not like my favorite use of the with our, with our going forward features, I feel kind of the same way. that I mean, color type stuff is... I mean, we're all familiar with landscape, the effect of mm -hmm. Velvia on landscape photography, shall we say, yeah. to, to sum up in a kind of controversial oversimplification. It may not reflect reality, but it reflects memory. Yes. And, uh, Isn't I that think, the goal, after all? Yes. Uh, I For at least some of us. I'm very comfortable with the idea of the goal of the tool is to let the photographer get the photo they want mm -hmm. um, in you know, a reasonable fashion, Using, you know, the photographic techniques and tools that are reasonable for a person to have. Yeah, I absolutely love vibrance. Mm -hmm. That would be the Velvia slider. <laughs> and and we'll Michael can take of... credit for, you know, having the basic idea, which, you know, was then the inspiration. Yeah, I mean, it's so simple. Increase the desaturated colors more than the saturated. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> Already seeing it in uh, competitive products. They call it smart vibrancy or something. Something like, like that. that. Yeah, <laughs> can't be the same. No, I guess we have dumb vibrancy there. <laughs> Classic vibrancy. Classic vibrance, and then well, let's see. Lightroom and Camera Raw now have the uh, skin-friendly vibrance. <laughs> so as we move forward, and we want to do localized burning and dodging you know we've got cloning now what uh yeah, I mean, it, isn't it a slippery there slope of, there are lots of ideas about how to do that which range from things that are more rastery to things that are more specified geometry um i will say when i am testing out edit in photoshop generally if i don't just go over and scribble on the image so i can watch the scribble come back and it's sort of purely an engineering test but I'm actually trying to think photographically. Generally, what I grab is the dodge and burn tool. And the dodge and burn tool in Photoshop 2, and I think even more so in Photoshop 2.5, it just became, they were really, really pleasant tools to use. Painterly. Years ago, I had proposed for the um, bundle edition of Photoshop that we should do something that basically just had, you know, say, a dodge and burn tool and a saturate and desaturate brush and so forth. And it was, you know, just sort of the traditional darkroom-esque tools, possibly using layers to represent those. I'd have to go back and find the uh, 
document that proposed that. But that's obviously not what Adobe did for the bundle product. But. Yeah, but the thing about it is people might get a little bit nervous that it's not the intent of Lightroom to become a photo compositing tool. Um, Being able to do local tone and color correction on a single image or multiple iterations of that image is, is one thing. But to take multiple images and... Well, I mean, there's a slippery slope because you start wanting to do the, I did multiple exposures and I want to combine them together. I did a panorama and I want to combine them together. And, you know, I can't about... say when we, I can't say when or if Lightroom's going to support that, but that becomes sort of an obvious thing to do with respect to photography. And just as once you can clone out your dust spots, you can also clone the third eye onto someone's forehead. Um, once you can composite multiple exposures to create a panorama or extended dynamic range or whatever, there isn't really anything that says you can't do some form of general image compositing. If it is a reasonable photographic goal, it is within our purview to meet it. And, you know, who's going to tell Laszlo Negi or somebody like that what a reasonable photo photographic goal sure, was? Sure, there's various yeah. uh, um, intents, you know. Uh, Photojournalists have a completely different intent than fine artists. Uh, yeah. So, uh, eventually... Well, the senior editor of Time Magazine or, you know, Reuters or some of the consumers of photography may be telling photographers exactly what they can and can't do. And yeah. we can take provenance to, you know, th that changes depending on context. And th one of the powerful things, well, you know, our parametric ed edit image editing or, is that they can impose control. But I think it comes back to what the everyday photographer has certain goals to get an image. And in the digital world, there are fairly sophisticated techniques like image stitching that are often the tool for just a regular you're not a professional high-end with a large expense account type of shoot where a stitched image is the right tool for the job. Um, or focus stacking for macro photography. You want to take a really good photo of something that's small, you have to fight with depth of field. That's an example of a technique that we can bring to bear to get the photo that you want. So but. I guess we'll go there. Eventually. Well, yeah, this is not a product <laughs> announcement. And, you know, no. But, you know, these are obviously, we can't, you know, these are not things where you can say, well, you know, Lightroom will never do compositing because there are these obvious things to want to do and there just isn't a way that says, oh, well, it does this, but you can't composite photos. Um, now, this will probably get played back to me at some point in the future down the road. Um, Go for it. But, you'll know that we've gone off the deep end or something. Yeah. You know, when Lightroom gains a text tool that can add text to a raster image as opposed to say, you know, adding text to a page for print as part of a layout task. But you know, if you can actually rasterize text and you know Seems create that. chrome text <laughs> with a drop shadow and burn it into your image, like we've sort effects. of turned into something other than being a photo editor then. So, Mark, what's your biggest pet peeve right now with 1.0? What's the thing that you most want to fix in a in a upcoming release? <laughs> there are certain behavioral aspects of the Sorry. application that uh, result in a certain <laughs> no, 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 amount no, no, no. of swearing oh. on my part. But uh, beyond that, I won't say any more because certain behavioral. <laughs> I aspects. have to protect the guilty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what um, would you most like to see in the next version of Lightroom, Thomas? Well, we spent the last week staring at shepherding halos, noise patterns, <laughs> and other minuta of the image structure. Yeah. And yes, we are figuring out ways to make that better. Better image processing. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think you know the the first thing you have to do is get absolute best quality. Yep. And if you don't have the best quality. Uh, that sort of trumps any other advantage you would otherwise have. So, so I, I, I will say on features, though, I have to say um, last fall, uh, Donna Powell uh, on the Lightroom QE team and I spent about 24 hours photographing a uh, music event in Santa Cruz mm -hmm. and running Lightroom continuously during this. And at the very, very top of our list of concerns and irritations and the thing we most wanted fixed and unfortunately was not addressed in 
was the ability to have it unmount the CF card after doing an import. Because here we were in Lightroom, we were running this, you know, we've done all this stuff on the uh, user interface. I refer you to other podcasts discussing this and in the Lightroom environment. And to unmount the card, you had to switch back to the Finder. Aha. Uh-huh. And it it's just funny sort of how those broke real the whole world, feel uh, there. Those and real world shooting situations bring the unexpected features to light, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So. That's why the Iceland thing was it's, really good. It's lovely when the engineers feel the same pain that the photographers do. Yeah. So we should do more trips like that, more adventures. Well, I know I I would agree that image processing is right up there, but I got to tell you, there's very specific images of mine that I would like to see better processing on. But well, we we were working on one of yours. And, I know. I know. I know. It, it, it looks better. It does yeah? look better okay. today. So better. there's hope for improvement. But, but I got to tell you, when I'm when I'm well, out, I like better image processing. If you said you can have better image processing or you can get ejection at the end of import, uh, I'd probably pick card ejection. But yeah. Hopefully, we won't have to make that sort of trade-off. I don't use Lightroom to import my images, so. Yeah, fortunately, Mark's not the product manager. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. No, I just got to say that uh, when I'm out talking to people, the two top requests that come across are multiple monitor capability and, of course, syncing. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, there's certainly, um, you know, even going into this, we knew that the laptop desktop situation was and there's the general work group situation which afflicts uh photographers who are fortunate enough to be able to employ assistance but even outside that group there was we were well aware that the laptop desktop situation was a problem now we had interesting discussions inside adobe in which we would have various people inside who were in a position to try to influence our spec versus our schedule and so forth say oh yeah i understand i feel that pain but don't worry about that right now. Uh, You're talking which, about which, why binders got yanked? Um, binders got yanked because basically it was hard to get them to behave consistently. and um, That would be trying a problem. To, you know, and it was one of these things where they just sort of kept being, you know, they worked well enough for a beta, but they kept being shoes dropping as we tried to iron out the details. And it was decided that if we were going to get the rest of this out the door, we had to stop having shoes drop. So, yeah, that was unfortunate because that was a useful feature. But, you know, that was certainly, you know, it was painful when we lost it. It was a very painful meeting when we just said, you know, we can't get predictability and when we're going to get this ironed out. But, no, I mean, there had been meetings for months or years in which we'd go through and say, we got to solve this laptop desktop thing. And they'd say, don't worry about that for version one. You know, I feel this pain, but don't worry about that. Um and, you know, as it ends up, it probably was, you know, if we were working on it, we still wouldn't have version one shipping. So I guess it's probably just as well because, you know, there are plenty of people who work on one machine or who are able to work through it anyway. Um, well, at least we've got XMP to Yeah, move, so we've got a variety of solutions and, and, you know, we're working on better solutions. The other thing that uh, comes up on the dual monitor side is... There are sort of two approaches you can take to designing a product with respect to multiple monitors. There's the assume you've got multiple monitors and optimize for that and then maybe tune for how you work on a single monitor. And then there's the approach that we took in Lightroom, which was and was influenced in part because we're thinking about laptops again. Optimize for the single monitor case. Most people have single monitors. People with dual monitors are... You know, they've spent the money, they want support, and they're you know quite vocal about it, but they aren't the majority. Okay, so it was you know, figure out how do we optimize for the single monitor? Because I mean, if you're in the field with your laptop, you probably only have a single monitor as well. So there are a inver- couple of cases that I would argue the current functionality it would be useful for uh, being able to put uh, a zoomed-in view in on one side. Or compare and then still have library available. Yeah, I mean, so we're, yeah, so what we're looking at. Most of the people are asking for functionality because they think they want it, because that's the way other applications have worked in the past. And they've become dependent upon that second monitor for the palettes Mm -hmm. or the panels. Does Photoshop CS3 have palettes anymore? I guess they're panels now. but There's you can tear them off. Well, whatever. But the point is that the way they've had there to work pa- in It's the a palette ghetto. Yeah. 
<laughs> palette ghetto. There, Photoshop is more efficient if you have a second monitor for palettes. Lightroom's design was is not dependent upon having a second monitor for all the controls and the palettes. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of people that are, are demanding uh, second monitors are people that really haven't explored past the core functionality of of hiding, auto-hiding, for example, mm-hmm. the panels in Lightroom and op- only open them when you need them. Yeah. You know, I think Lightroom, particularly once you learn how to show and hide the panels and get those working in reasonable ways so they're opening when you want them to and not opening when you don't want them to, uh, works quite well on a single monitor. We recognize there are a lot of people who have second monitors and it makes sense for us to look for ways to exploit it but the direction we took is you know optimize for the single monitor case and then come back and look for opportunities for the second monitor as opposed to build for the second monitor case and then just hope that people with one monitor can sort of cram it all in and work with it that so way part of our philosophy not being a company that sells hardware yeah i was gonna <laughs> point that out if we sold uh <laughs> Beautiful We're in the business of selling monitors. Have right. incentive. I, I, I will say at this, you or, know, or boxes with multiple video cards. Event where Donna and I were shooting, and we had a slideshow. Whenever we weren't doing work of importing or burning off CDs or something, we had a slideshow running of everything we'd shot to date. And one of the things that was obvious was sort of, well, gee, wouldn't it be nice if we could just run a slideshow continuously while you're uh, on the other monitor? Or, and or, or yeah, assuming computer. you've got enough processing power to you know keep that monitor fed, and that's an example. Of, that's not an announcement of anything that's necessarily coming because that gets into well, how do we manage that slideshow as well? But that's the sort of thing of saying, well, gee, if we had a second monitor, here's a great way to exploit it. And if you're a professional photographer, that means you can have the slideshow running that you're letting the client look at and seeing while well, you're sitting on your other monitor moving things around and deciding what to do with the images and which ones to add to the show and so forth. We're we're actually very aware that a lot of professional shooting situations this it doesn't show up so much in the you know the enthusiast world but in a lot of professional situations there are, there are multiple screens sure. usually hooked up to multiple computers and there are very specific situations and things that need to show up on those screens of the communication that happens around the entire process and it's perhaps a little bit above just you say raw processing right it's more Mm -hmm. into getting into the high level photographic aspects of what's going on and we're you know totally aware of that and see that as an opportunity to really make do things in the application that make the job of getting the photos getting exactly what everybody Mm -hmm. wants to be just right Hmm. so in terms of photoshop integration how do we do in 1.0, and what would you like to see next? I know John Knack has some big numbers I mean, on his hit list for Photoshop integration. You know, the thing that would probably be most useful in Photoshop integration, and unfortunately this was something that just you know, wasn't viable with CS2, and I'm not sure whether it would be viable with CS3 or not, is, I mean, there have been people who've said, you know, gee, I, I really wish you didn't have to save the file before you right. launch Photoshop and open it up. And the reason that comes up for us is that if we're going to put it in the library, well, we have to know what the file is. And mm-hmm. we could sit there and watch and see if any files appear out of Photoshop, but we'd have no idea whether this was connected to the one that we asked Photoshop when we told Photoshop, here, please open up this raw file with these settings and bring it in, you know. And a little while later, we see an image file appear from somewhere. How do we tell that that's connected up? So we're sort of stuck in this. The way you work through that is you save it out and you say, okay, Photoshop, here's the file. I want you to go edit. Now, the downside is that means that if you're in Photoshop, you go, well, you know, I tried editing it, didn't come up with anything useful to do. I really want to bail out. I wish I didn't have this file here anymore. Now you're back into go back into Lightroom and tell it delete the file. Um, so I mean, there, there are opportunities there that would be nice to be worked out. I mean, we're up against, you know, CS2 shipped quite a while ago and wasn't written with hooks in it for Lightroom. Um, that's the thing Trying that to I find these sort the of things thing for the... going forward is, it's always an opportunity for... One of the things that I would petition for, though, uh, if 
there was an opportunity for some improvement in a very short period of time, and I won't get into any time frames. Time frames, but um, I would like to be able to open up an image from Lightroom with the uh, Lightroom edits as a smart object, so I could work with both the original RAW, be able to go into Camera RAW to do a tweak, and be able to rasterize and combine those, still have access to the original RAW via the smart object. Yeah, and that's not so much a Lightroom feature, I think, as a Camera RAW feature. So, well, we, so, we, so we, what's we, going we, to do we, the opening into Photoshop is going to be Camera RAW, and what you then produce isn't a document that particularly... Um, speaks no, so, to I mean, Lightroom, from Lightroom, but, I yeah. should be able to open Photoshop as a smart object. Well, it's essentially what Bridge does. It tells mm -hmm. Photoshop to open this file yeah. as a smart object using Camera Raw. Uh -huh. And so to implement the feature, Lightroom needs to pretend it's Bridge. Yeah, yeah we, uh, I mean, I think that we actually did a little bit more work in that realm in the Camera Raw Bridge mm -hmm. Photoshop ecosystem. Camera Raw is a little interesting because Thomas and I sit, you know, half in the Lightroom realm and half in the Photoshop bridge realm. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we're our own entity, but we, we we work for both teams in some sense. And now that we have products out there, we have people using them, we have a real sense of the workflows people need to happen between those. I think we can... can yeah, a much clearer sense. The, I mean, the problem is it's a large group of people that have to kind of agree. It's not even really a sense of agree. It's it's what is the right thing to do. There are a bunch of ways to solve these problems. And if you don't have a, a confidence about the right way to do it, it's very hard to get a lot of people, you know, five, shall we say, to, to go, okay, here's what we're going to do with this program, here's what we're going to do with this program, and here's what we're going to do with the third program to make this whole workflow really, yeah. really sing. Right. It's one of those things that, you know, for this sort of feature, I, it would potentially be reasonable to send off to camera uh, to Photoshop and say, here, go turn this into a... Open it up in Photoshop as, as a smart object with the appropriate settings. Reference my earlier discussion of why that then doesn't become a way to implement edit in Photoshop. Oh, no. no and no, it also becomes the sort of thing that you know, Lightroom can't edit the settings that are in the Photoshop file. You're basically making a Photoshop file Camera that is left. Camera Raw 4 can edit all the settings. Only because it's there. running inside of Photoshop, though. Yes. Is the issue? Well, yeah. it, it's it's a one-way export. Rather yeah, it's than a one-way export rather than an edit in photo. It, it's yeah. a take it but, downstream to Photoshop, which is which is definitely useful. But from my point of view, yeah. that's useful. Yeah, I mean um, that's it's, what makes the distinction. It's, it's, it's exactly the same thing as the eject the card situation. Yes. It's, it, Jeff has a workflow that if no, he no, has I'm, to write right, three that, extra steps to get there. What and, is the difference between editing and Photoshop and just exporting the damn file? If you're gonna edit in Photoshop, you're probably going to be working interactively with the image as opposed to just producing consumable images. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the point that I'm trying to make is that being able to edit from Lightroom and tweak and be able to do those things that Photoshop can do while still have the image in the Lightroom library, uh, I think that's a real benefit. So it's kind of Partial parametric editing, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one thing. Well, you're right there. You touch on it, and it gets fuzzy. Is you know, if you're prepared to deal with the this is as, as I think someone said, you know, it's an export and it's you know, send it downstream and it's not coming back to Lightroom. That's that's an that, that's you know. But you still that might want it remembered there, so that's in your you organizational might, you system. You might be able to remember that it's in your organizational system. It becomes a very different sort of thing because I think some people look at that and say, and oh, and then Lightroom can dive inside and change the settings as well, and I can edit the settings. Except that, of course, you've added all these other layers in Photoshop, and you know, we, <laughs> Lightroom we would be, wouldn't know what yeah, to do yeah, with but them. But Camera Raw can do it. Camera Raw doesn't know about what to do with the layers either. But well, it does. Photoshop but it can does. edit. Smart the, object does. It can no, edit it the doesn't. settings on the smart Photoshop object. Photoshop knows how to hand the data back off to Camera Raw. Uh -huh. To extract things back out, yes. you can. You can. It would be like having. It would be like if you placed an Illustrator document inside of 
Photoshop and you told Illustrator, here's this PSD and there's a layer inside of here that contains Illustrator data, go edit it and update the Photoshop document appropriately. At least until Lightroom has local tone and color corrections, I can go in and throw an adjustment layer on top of a smart object that is yet to be rendered. Yeah, I mean, so it's definitely useful. It's understanding how it fits reasonably into the workflow, and that's one of the things that gets tricky. And yeah, yeah, well, we just said all that by arm wrestling, work. Mark. Yeah, <laughs> you and I. I'll even go left. Good luck. Of course, I'm left-handed. <laughs> I'll take bets. No, I'm just letting <laughs> Jeff write the code. Well, I don't know how to do that, Mark. No, I just, I, you know, my specialty is trying to finagle and bribe shit out of you. Yeah. <laughs> Zalman, what, what's on what's on your mind for the uh, database? Uh, I mean, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the distinction between you know file browser type database, or do yeah, we not want to still, touch on it? I don't know. It's still yeah. it's an interesting subject. I think it's still troubling me where we ended up. I mean, I, I don't have a problem. I just use Bridge as a browser for Lightroom. I shift select multiple images, drag them onto the Lightroom icon, it pops the import, and I bring them in. What's yeah, the problem? I mean, what's happening no is problem. Light, Lightroom. Well, this is a little expensive, but. Yeah, there is the I question. I have Photoshop. I have Lightroom. If I've invested in both of those tools, I might as well make use of them. I mean, we do get the question, you know, why do I have to import into Lightroom? And uh, there are things that potentially we could do in terms of doing more auto-import-like functionality. But you know, fundamentally, it's that there are things that Lightroom is doing that don't necessarily map back well to storing the information in the file. I mean, we're working on, you know, storing what we can that's within the standards for XMP right now. We're looking at, you know, ways to to extend the standards to store more. But there are things Lightroom wants to do with images that don't map back as well, and we need to, when you do these things to the image, we have to have some place to store it, and the place to store it is... The database, so somehow, at some point, Lightroom has to say, I'm going to remember this image. And we've actually tried to, it's in some sense, trying to avoid um, magical decisions that mostly get things right. Instead, it's the, you want Lightroom to remember things about this image? You have to import it into Lightroom. If you don't import it into Lightroom, Lightroom has no place to store information about this image. And I think that's a useful explanation of the differences. But the fact is, just in terms of functionality, if I'm importing off the card, mm-hmm. that's probably okay. I probably want to ingest everything. Yes. And copy it to two places and, and move on. But I think a lot of what we're facing is transitional um, yeah, I, resistance. We certainly, when when we were designing Lightroom and making decisions, the assumption was you will shoot more images in the future than you have accumulated in the past. So we need to be friendly towards your existing image library, but your future image library is bigger than your current image library, and so we should make choices tuned towards what's going to happen with your future image library. But just the ability to decide which images to import, the current import Mm -hmm. functionality, though better than some of the earlier, Mm -hmm. I don't even remember what was in beta one. It was over a year ago. My short-term memory is going. It was not. It was much the same as what was in beta three, and possibly (laughs) even what was in beta four. I can't remember whether beta four added the folders, the the reworked. um, No. But the point that I'm saying is that trying to decide what to import. It's more useful if you can browse through the images temporarily than importing a bunch of stuff and then going through and deciding what to delete. That's the point. For importing your existing images, there's an assumption more or less that you already had them at least somewhat organized so that you can... (laughs) I'm uh, not terribly organized. You either are going to have to do it piecemeal or you point Lightroom at... Yeah, well, that's the thing that we discovered about a lot of it. The photographers really fall into two camps. They're ones who have their images scattered everywhere, and they have probably three copies of every image, but there's no organization, it's no backup scheme other than the fact that probably they have three copies of every image because they've duplicated things over and over again. And then there are people who have you know, very, very rigid processes by which they organize their work and for the latter people the answer is potentially point lightroom at the root of your 
tree of images and suck them all in and preferably walk away and leave it overnight so it can churn through all of them and collect all the data out of them. In the other case, uh, the primary motivation for things like ignoring duplicates was to deal with the, well, I have three copies and I probably only need Lightroom to know about one of them. <laughs> so it's, but it's a much more, oh yeah, here's another folder full of images and I should suck these in and have Lightroom pull in the ones that it hasn't seen before. Now, if you go and say, I don't want Lightroom to know about certain images, that becomes a more complicated process because now you have to figure out how you decide, oh, I want Lightroom to know about these, but I don't want it to know about these well, other ones. Well, that's what I'm telling you. That's why I use Bridge as a browser for Lightroom. But, and, you know, I, I think good. our other thought is, you know, just throw them into Lightroom. You know, the import will be a little slower, but is it that much slower than the time it took you to review and decide what to import? I found... Uh in my own use that once I figured my biggest step was figuring out exactly what was going to happen behind that import dialogue. Mm -hmm. And I actually, you know, was a, a paying customer for Ross shooter before, mm -hmm. uh, before the Adobe Macromedia. Uh, and, uh, both, both Ross shooter and bridge had interesting functionality that you had to wait for a period of time before you could get a really good review slideshow because I mean, you have to get the full size previews. And I find that the import procedure for Lightroom is actually pretty fast relative to that. I can go from importing an entire shoot to being able to show a slideshow to people who are hanging around going, hey, you can sit there with that fancy camera all day. What do the photos look like? Um, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And you know, once the import is done, you can get that slideshow. Uh, Bridge 2 actually fixes this problem as well because they, they drive off the previews, which uh, they get from Camera Raw. To, uh, to to get a, a good size preview. It's not like I'm, I'm expecting a, you know to dial in exposure adjustments and things in my slideshow. I just want to show the shots real quick, and those drive off the previews. Yeah, but, and this speaks to the question that people ask: What happens? If I shoot RAW plus JPEG, and I import into Lightroom. What happened to my JPEGs? The answer is: We Why treat the JPEGs, the JPEGs basically just like I mean, there are cameras that embed JPEGs into the RAW files, and there are cameras that write the JPEGs as sidecars to deal with you know. It wasn't that long ago that pretty much nothing knew how to go and read anything out of the raw files. And so if you were going to get any sort of preview in your other tools, you had to have the JPEG separate. And so that, I think, sparked a lot of the raw plus JPEG workflow. And I've seen plenty of people, they go and edit their JPEGs to pick their images and they go back and work on the raw. So basically just using the JPEGs the same way you would an embedded preview. So Lightroom takes the approach of saying, sidecar JPEG, it's just like an embedded preview. Now, in the cases where it's not really an embedded preview, this is an unfortunate decision. But you know, if your camera is shooting raw, if you got raw plus JPEG off your camera, mm -hmm. that's what it's optimizing for. And that way, you know, you can get the previews quickly that the camera is built, and then the camera raw engine can sort of follow along behind as fast as it can and try to render things out the way Adobe feels they should look. This was a very controversial decision when it. 1.0 shipped. Yeah. Is that going to be fixed? Um, <laughs> it well, obviously, you know, it, it depends on whether you feel it's broken or not. Yeah, what, yeah. Would, you, what would you do, Thomas? I, there are people who want the JPEG separately, and, you know, the price is then you don't get as fast previews for your RAWs, and if you want to, if you do a bunch Actually, of work on the JPEG and you want to flip over to your RAW, well, you did a bunch of the work on the JPEG and it isn't on your RAW. Strikes um, me as a... You know, uh, there are people who... Say, but, you know, I really just want the JPEGs because I want to be able to ship them off and maybe I'll get back to the RAW. And yeah. that is an interesting workflow. Um, it, you know, it, maybe it, Camera Raw needs an option to let you work with the embedded JPEGs as well that way. It strikes me as a feature that's actually pretty useful. The, the, the tricky bit is communicating to the user exactly what's going on. Yeah. And we should probably give some visual indication that what we're showing on the screen but, came from a specific place. Yeah. But so. certainly the thing in 1.0 that it tends to want to treat PSD, uh, the PSDs and RAWs as part of the same file group and treat one as being a sidecar to the other, that was just a bad choice on the part of the so, implementation like, of that, and that was that a high priority like, to address. That sounded the, like Thomas will win that battle. <laughs> the, 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 choice, the choice of what to do with sidecar JPEGs you know, depends on what your workflow is, and if you really want the, the if I had a vote, JPEGs, we can let you, but you know, there, there are downsides to treating the JPEGs as separate files If I had a well. vote, it would be really nice to auto-stack 
the JPEGs and the RAWs so that you could do quick renderings of yeah, the but JPEGs. The, but if you apply a keyword, it only applies the keyword to the current image. It doesn't apply it pushing it down through the stack. Well, so. that's also a shortcoming. So what do you, what do you why do you want to import that, the JPEGs? That, that, that I, I gather was a difference between how album handles, uh, Photoshop album handles stacks and Aperture handles stacks. And I think the answer from the person who did the implementation of this is we actually went with the Aperture approach. Now, whether that's right or not, you know, there are arguments for when you want to have it pushed through the I've, stack and arguments for when you don't. George, um, to answer your question, I've got cameras that shoot RAW plus JPEG, and I don't bother with the JPEG. Because once I get the raw with a well-sized preview, I've got a JPEG potential that actually matches the raw file as opposed to the raw file maybe or maybe not matching the JPEG. So I don't bother with the, the, the JPEGs. But there are some people where literally the difference between shooting, processing, and getting a picture published can be measured in minutes or seconds. Mm -hmm. It's and all about speed. It's all about speed. And in those cases, a lot of times, the consumable file will be the JPEG. And the reason that the photographer is also shooting raw is that if it is like a seriously important image, then they've got the raw file back, the raw file to fall back on. Yeah, and that's a perfectly le legitimate, that's a perfectly legitimate workflow. And yeah, you know, the downside. For someone doing it, and you know, because you know, most photographers aren't in that situation. Is that you know, when you want to switch, you go, I, I've done all this work with the JPEG. Oh, damn, I need to go and use the RAW because there's some reason you know, I need the RAW. It's like, okay, now I have to figure out how to take whatever it is that I did to the JPEG, and you know, particularly if you went in and did you know, adjustments in develop, well, those aren't going to translate directly to the RAW, and you're going to be back in the you know starting over so yeah it's one of these things where there are legitimate workflows and we're you know looking at how to support them and at the same time i've made the remark and this yeah we could we can add options for everything there are lots of ways there are lots of things we can add options for the approach that i certainly would have taken you know when working on photoshop is oh there are legitimate differences here we should add an option on lightroom because we place this value on trying to keep things simple I mean, there's a recognition that an option comes with a cost and it's a lot harder to take an option out once you give it to someone than it is oh, to add one later that. you're not allowed to take features away <laughs> See, that's just it so once added they're there you know, forever yeah when they say well can't you just address that with an option well we try to be conservative and see you know how the stress works out between the keep it simple and working well for most people versus the, well, if we had this option, we could make this set of people really happy and just hope that the other people can cope with the fact that we've added, you know, one more degree of complexity in here. Yeah, it's one of our, it's a big tension that shows up in the image processing too, that like there's, you know, we could expose every tweak and twiddle possible known to man. And we certainly are aware of, you know, many of the things people talk about, but like, do you really want 2,000 sliders in the, in the UI? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. You know, George no, has they... looked at some of the experiments I've been doing this week, and, you know, there are this whole slew of, How you do know, I use these sliders? controls. And George is asking, and our QE team, you know, because it's you know, gone into the main line, are like, so are we going to get documentation of these? Don't worry. These are go. just, you know, knobs for me to adjust what the underlying code is doing so we can figure out what the right set of things to expose is. <laughs> Yeah, but I just remember early in the beta, Hue and uh, HSL was a cool thing. People really yeah. loved that, even when it had 18 sliders. Then all of a sudden, you know, you get now it has 24. Beta 4, it's got 24. <laughs> but that is the case where more. Now, that was better. in beta four. That, that was one oh. One oh is you know responsible for orange. Well, once once we got orange the UI aqua. to manage them. Oh, that's right. Well, it sounds but like not pine sounds or like... chartreuse. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, aqua. Well, it sounds like we're not going to settle the uh, the raw plus JPEG question I mean, yet again tonight. You know, I, I, it's it's an example of the sort of tension that exists between optimizing for the common case of making things work well and how do you accommodate people who have you know, legitimate needs to do something that is different from that 
while not inconveniencing the rest of people and recognizing that every option you add at some point becomes something that people have to know about or that yeah, will be set the wrong way for someone and they'll have to go and find it and they'll be surprised at how it's set. And the thing that I'd say is that, that the guiding light has been, generally speaking, to try to do the right thing. And I, yeah. you guys have earned my admiration in that you really do try to do the right thing in all cases. So that's well, what else kudos. have we got to do? Yeah. Well, it's the only way to go, man. I gotta just jump in here and tell you guys that I have like just about less than one minute here worth of recording left. <laughs> so, yeah, Tom, Tom Thomas still actually, has not gotten to explain uh, just George, one time process. You didn't. <laughs> you didn't actually introduce us. I think you said the wrong heat. Yeah. Well, I, I, think, I would like to thank think Tom Hogarty, our, our wonderful project manager, product product manager. Okay. Pardon me. I can edit that. Uh, for for the the libations that have have made this event yeah, possible. Yeah, he sent out some lemonades. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. All right, we'll tackle Raw Plus JPEG on the next one. And George, also kudos to you, bud, for being kind of the public face and, and oh, going out go. there. And and for coming all the way to, yeah. you know, sunny, warm Ann Arbor, Michigan. How often do I get to find all you guys in one room? There's have been to concern that, you know, this room might get hit by a meteor or something. And <laughs> where would we be? Did you try and buy insurance on that? Well, I figure I'm going to be in the room. I won't care. No, no. Lost a wrap right now.